morning, uh, as we are turning to John chapter 20, I want to begin with a bit of a test. This is uh, a time for you to sit up and uh, pay attention, get your brain waves uh, working, and I'm going to give you a test question. Um, and this is not one of those questions where I want you to cry out. It's a rhetorical question, so just answer it in your mind. But uh, uh, yeah, it's a test question nevertheless. Who from Scripture, especially in the New Testament times, uh, loved Jesus the most? Who loved Jesus the most? Uh, perhaps people like the Apostle Paul are coming into your mind's eye. Uh, the Apostles, um, Paul who was brought from death to life on the road to Damascus, Christian killer, transformed. Uh, Peter, he denied Christ three times and yet was forgiven. He loved Jesus very much. Maybe you're thinking of the Apostle John, the author of the gospel I'm going to be preaching from. Uh, John was called the beloved disciple of Jesus. Jesus was very um, endeared to him as a beloved um, relationship. Uh, maybe you're thinking of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who raised Jesus from infancy, um, loved Jesus dearly, maternally. Uh, maybe you're thinking of children who were raised from the dead, uh, the little girl that, that Jesus rose from the dead. Did she love Jesus most of all? The ones that crowded onto Jesus' lap. Maybe the thief on the cross comes to mind. Um, maybe the deaf who could hear, the blind who could see. All of these people would be candidates um, for the highest praise and the highest affection for Christ. But who loved Jesus most of all? Well, it's hard to say, really. But John chapter 20 gives us an insight into a woman's heart who loved Jesus deeply and dearly. It's Mary Magdalene. And she would be one who would be a candidate for loving Jesus most of all. She wore her emotion and her affection for Christ on her sleeve. And she gushed love for Jesus. She wanted to be near Jesus. As one person, person put it, Bishop Andrew, he said that she was, Mary Magdalene was last at the cross and first at the tomb. Mary loved Jesus. And I think that there's no more appropriate person to view the resurrection through than Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene saw Jesus raised from the dead, and she was first to see the risen Christ. And so John, the writer here, portrays the resurrection, the events of Christ raising from the dead through the eyes of this woman. She was a woman who's known as uh, having a sordid past. Some people attribute Mary Magdalene as the person who washed and anointed the feet of Jesus Christ in the house of Simon, the, the Pharisee, the one where the event where she took the alabaster of oil and anointed Jesus' feet and then wetted his feet with her tears and washed the feet of Jesus with her hair. That would have been a harlot, uh, a lady of the evening. Was that Mary Magdalene? We don't know for sure. Mary Magdalene was for certain one who had seven demons that were exercised out of her by Christ. She was a well-to-do woman. She, she was uh, one of the women who went with spices to um, finish 
off the burial preparation of Christ. Uh, She was devoted to Christ because she had been loved by Christ and had been delivered by Christ. Seven demons exercised out of her, Luke 8, verse 2. And so she is one who was forgiven much. And because she was forgiven much, she loved much. She felt an obligation to Christ. Not a debtor's ethic, but a, an ethic, a debtor's ethic of love, not of works, but of love. Romans 13 says, owe no man anything but love. And she felt obligated in love for Christ. So I want to view the resurrection through her eyes this morning. John chapter 20 is where we begin. Seeing the resurrection through the eyes of someone who loved Jesus most, Mary sought, first of all, after Jesus through her darkness. Begin reading with me at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Uh, Mary is the only one mentioned here, so in essence, John is wanting us to connect with her as someone who's leading out to be near Jesus. Now, Mary did not expect that Jesus was raised from the dead. That wasn't what was connecting in her mind and her heart. She just loved Jesus deeply. And even though she was going to his dead body, she was doing it out of love for him and affection for him as a woman of God. She felt impelled in her heart towards Christ and she wanted to finish the job of preparing his body with spices. Now, she is associated with other women coming in this early event on Easter morning. Um, The other Gospels would include Mary, the mother of Jesus, or also the Mary, the mother of James, Salome, and Joanna. So these women are with Mary Magdalene, but Mary Magdalene is leading out in front here. And that's very clear from the Gospel of John. She's going when it's still dark. She can't stay away. She's going before it's practically um, something that she can perform. She's going to anoint his body before she can see his body. And she must not have been aware of the fact that there was an earthquake that had happened, a localized earthquake, that angels had rolled a stone away so that people could look in the tomb and see someone who was not there. She, she was not aware of the fact that probably that the guards had been assigned to guard the tomb. The guards were, were gone at that point. They had been knocked out and must have been revived and gone away. But what did she see? She saw in verse 1 that a stone had been taken, verse 1, taken away from the tomb. Now, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had already packed the body of Jesus with spices. They had already wrapped his body in linen cloths. That's what you do in the Jewish culture. The Egyptians would embalm a dead body to preserve it from decay. The Greco-Roman culture would cremate bodies. But the Jews left the body intact, but packed underneath the back of 
a dead body, in this case Jesus, with pounds of spices. In fact, it, it's listed in John chapter 19 that Nicodemus put 75 pounds in weight of spices on the back of Jesus Christ. And this is what preserved the body from stench and odor and decay. And so there was a, a finishing work that these ladies were coming to do. Very committed to this process, and they came to the garden tomb, which was the tomb given by Joseph of Arimathea. You had an outer chamber and an inner chamber where the body would be laid. The body would be either um, in kind of a concave uh, portion in, in the cave where it was cut out for the body to be lain, or on a shelf, as it were. And Mary saw that the, the stone was rolled away. And what did she do? She she. There's no mention or indication that she looked in the tomb. In fact, she was just bewildered by what she had seen and probably horrified because she ran the other direction. There, there must have been somebody who robbed the grave. There must have been tomb robbers who took the body away for some reason. And history notes that this was a capital offense. It was a very serious matter to have a grave either destroyed or robbed. So what'd she do? She runs the other way to Simon Peter. Now before we pick up with Peter and John who are also noted in this account, I, I want to point out something that's happening in these verses. Uh, there are seven different terms in verses 1 through 18 that speak of seeing, physically seeing or looking. Different terms, three different uses of the Greek with seven different terms where we're talking about seeing something. In this case, verse 1, she's seeing a stone that's been taken away. What is this seeing effect for? Well, throughout the Gospel of John, John uses the idea, the word picture of physically seeing as a picture of seeing with the eyes of faith or spiritually seeing. In other words, you either see Jesus for who he is, or you can look at him and miss him altogether. Or you're believing in Jesus, seeing is believing with the eyes of faith, or you're just kind of blinded, spiritually darkened to who Jesus claims to be. You're either having the lights turned on or you're in darkness. That metaphor of darkness is uh, found in verse 1. There's, there's, there's a darkness. The atmosphere is dark. It's early in the morning before sunrise. It's, it's, a, it's a heart-wrenching time for Mary Magdalene. She's struggling through her faith during this time. It's a gut-wrenching time where the one that she loves most of all has died, and she's come to anoint his body, to, to love him in any way that she possibly can in this moment. She's hurting in darkness. And so what does she see? She sees a stone that's taken away. So by contrast, there are two disciples, Peter and John, that enter the story, two very different personalities, that by contrast, they actually won't just see a stone taken away, but they'll go in the tomb and they'll see and believe, as we'll see in verse 8. Well, let's lead up to that point. Verse 2, so she ran, Mary, and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. 
So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple, this is John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Stop there. I mean, you know, in football analogies, you've got John, who's a wide receiver, and you've got Peter, who's he's a fullback, right, or a halfback. Halfbacks are good for 50 yards, right? Okay, so Peter, he's huffing and puffing, and John is running ahead. In here, you have two different temperaments on display. John is going to be a very precise, very um, circumspect, um, affectionate, loving disciple. Peter is the impetuous, go for it, jump first, speak first, and think later type personality. Uh, By the way, God made us all, and we're all part of the, the garden, and we're all different than each other. And I think the sooner we understand that we just need to live with each other in different temperaments and personalities, the better off we will be. We have Peter's, and we have John's, and we have the garden variety of disciples of Christ and so you have John who, who outruns Peter and he's at the tomb first. That's significant because you see John's reaction to the tomb first, verse 5. And stooping to look in, you'd have to kind of bend down or stoop down to go into the inner chamber or the outer chamber and then into the inner chamber. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So he's kind of peering in. He, he went into the tomb, and then he's peering into the inner chamber, probably looking at a shelf where there are linen cloths. The word for John here, looking and seeing, is the word blepo, and that word is talking about John in terms of a cursory glance. In other words, John, he didn't inspect things up close yet. He just kind of walked in, peered in, and looked, and took it in superficially, and is just kind of in shock. And then you have Peter that follows. Verse 6. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. It's almost like, John, get out of the way. I'm going all the way in here. I'm not just going to stand at the door. He saw the linen cloths lying there. Now, this word for see in verse 6 is different than the cursory glance. This is the word therateo. It's where we get the word theater. And this is denoting Peter's long examination. Kind of like you're going to the theater where you're taking in the play or you're taking in the theater. Your your senses are all firing as you're thinking through what is going on around you. Peter, who had denied Christ just hours before on Friday night, now it's early Sunday morning, is still a leader. He's just, hey, John, hey, move aside. I'm going in. I'm going to jump in, and I'm going to look at what's going on. I need to examine these cloths. I need to see what's happened. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, again, this is... The disciples seeing that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now there's some significance to the way that the linen cloths are described here. Because these linen cloths provide evidence. They are a prompt to John and Peter believing that Jesus had risen from the dead. Had robbers 
come into the tomb, you know, broken the seal and rolled the stone away and gone in there and grabbed the body of Jesus, they're not going to sit there and unwrap Jesus on the shelf and then take the, you know, grotesque body away. That's not going to happen. They're just going to grab the body wrapped in swaddling cloths and run. But what they find here are swaddling cloths that are laid in bodily form. That's what I ascertain from the text. They're laying there. There's, you know, later we're going to hear of an angel that's at the foot and the head. In other words, these cloths are laying there as if the body was there and then wasn't there. And actually, the mention of the face cloth in verse 7 that's folded up in its place by itself, could be speaking of the way that the different cloths were proportionately laid out, like a face cloth cloth where a head would have been, and then the body linens that would have wrapped the body. Um, Henry Latham, who's done a lot of study on this, he wrote a book called The Risen Master, and he said that the dead were wrapped in a way that their neck was left open, and he actually researched it to find that the faces were left open. A cloth might have been laid over, but it was more of a turban around the head and the face was open to where uh, the example of the son of Nain, remember Jesus rose him from the dead during the funeral service where he's being walked towards the tomb and he sits up and starts speaking. The reason he can do that is because his face is open to do that. And so, in other words, you have uh, the cloths laid in a very specific way that show where, where if a body left it, they would have just laid there almost like a cocoon with the body portion for, you know, the chest and, and the legs to be um, a portion of the linen cloth and then a space for where the head would have been. This is very convincing proof to Peter and John that something miraculous has happened. In other words, Jesus came through the grave cloths, through them. John Stott put it this way, it's as if Jesus' body evaporated out of the grave cloths. Very different than Lazarus, who when he was resurrected, he was not yet glorified. He was called out of a tomb where he walks out of a tomb through the doorway, and he's still wrapped in his grave cloths. He's still wrapped up. He's not glorified He's not in a glorified state when he was raised from death. Jesus was raised never to die again. Lazarus would die physically again. Jesus, when he was resurrected and glorified, remember he's going to appear to the disciples in a few days, moving through a locked door. This is Jesus risen from the dead. And if you look in verse 8, it says the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. So he's catching on to Peter's examination here. He's he's working his way into the tomb. He also went in and he saw and believed. Now this term for seeing or saw is orao. And that means seeing and believing with understanding. That's what that means. It's the same word that Jesus uses of Thomas in verse 29. Have you seen me? 
That's what he asked Thomas. In other words, have you seen me and believed yet? Remember doubting Thomas? I've got to thrust my hand into his nail scars. I've got to put my hand into his side. I've got to physically handle the body of Christ to actually believe. Well, he did that. And that was a prompt to the eyes of faith opening where Thomas affirmed that truly he believed in Christ and said, my Lord and my God. That's the dynamic that's going on in the heart of John. Who's the first person to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? The Apostle John. Now, he was a believer, but in this transition period, these apostles, their faith was in a state of confirmation confirming things, understanding things, putting the puzzle pieces together. Look at verse 9. John, who wrote this, said, For as yet they, speaking of himself and Peter, they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. In other words, all the Old Testament passages that talk spoke of Jesus raising from the dead, being pierced through for our transgressions, having a body that would not decay, they didn't connect those dots yet with what Jesus had predicted. And numerous occasions before said, I have to die and I'm going to rise again. They didn't grasp it. They couldn't go there. Mary Magdalene was not showing up at the tomb to find Jesus raised from the dead. She couldn't go there in her heart. She, she hadn't received it yet. And it's actually a grace to us, to for us to understand as believers, we're not going to connect all the dots here on earth. Jesus will make sure that we know enough to be affirming the true gospel, but we're not going to get everything perfectly right. Probably get a lot of things wrong. I mean, we're looking for Jesus' return, right? We want him to bodily return, but I'm sure that our theology and our, our biblical understanding of that event is going to be informed by it actually happening in the same way the gospel writers didn't fully grasp everything until years later when they wrote the gospel accounts and said, oh, that's what was going on. So what did the disciples do? Well, they ran home. They were excited. They didn't find Jesus there, and they were believing that Jesus had been raised from the dead, so they went home. Now the scene turns back to Mary, verse 11. Now again, verse 1, Mary sought after Jesus through her darkness, She's, she had seen the stone had been taken. She didn't fully grasp that Jesus had been raised, but the disciples did. And now Mary sought after Jesus through her despair, verses 11 to 13. But, Je but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Mary stood there weeping. When the mourners weeped at the tomb of Lazarus, the same word is used. This is a, a major, major weeping and wailing that's taking place. This is histrionics. This is Mary grieving the death of Jesus and grieving because the body is gone. 
It's as if something was left undone in her experience, not being able to finish the preservation work anointing the body of Jesus, and her heart is ripping apart. She's by the tomb. Why'd she go back? Well, obviously, Peter and John were running home, and they missed Mary as she was coming back. They're kind of going in all different directions. So she's coming back to the tomb, and she wants to be nearest to the place that she last knew where Jesus was. That's why she went. To grieve, to be at gravesite, graveside, and to love her Lord. She was there because of grief and also because of overwhelming love for her Lord. She didn't have it all figured out. She wasn't connecting the dots. She didn't know that Jesus was supposed to rise from the dead. She didn't believe it. She didn't see it, but she's loving Jesus. And guess what Jesus does for Mary? He honors her faith. Was it as strong as it needed to be? No. Did it need to be strengthened? Yes. Was Jesus going to strengthen her faith? Yes. It was working through a process, and God in Christ was blessing her heart for him. It's the life of a disciple of Christ. We don't get all the dots connected. We don't get everything figured out, but, but our hearts burn for Jesus, and Jesus affirms and blesses that kind of passion. She saw two angels, it says. They were supernatural beings sent from heaven. They're called young men in another gospel account. They're dressed in white, but not just white robes, but there's a brilliance reflecting off of their garments like lightning. There's one at the head and at the feet of where Jesus was laid. It, it uh, sort of brackets where the linen cloths were. Um, laying there, it's almost like they're at the head and the foot of a cocoon where Jesus was and he's come through. And the same word here for seeing is the same word that was used to Peter when he was examining the grave cloths. Uh, Mary is looking at these angels with the, the theater word, the theroteo, uh, uh, looking, examining, taking it all in. But as she's looking at the angels, she's not concerned at all about these supernatural beings. It's almost as if... She's just so consumed with Christ that angelic beings mean nothing to her. That's how we are. Even you know, supernatural events around us pale in comparison to our Lord Jesus Christ. He was the pinnacle of her affection, even though she believed he was still dead and, and had been taken. So in a gentle rebuke, these angels begin to try to bring Mary to another level um, they said to her, verse 13, Woman, why are you weeping? It's a very gentle rebuke. Why are you crying like this? And she explains that Jesus is gone, that, that he must have been taken. And then verse 14, Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. This is very curious. So instead of seeing Jesus, she saw two angels, and instead of seeing Jesus, she saw an empty tomb. She's got good-hearted confusion going on, but suddenly, as one preacher put it, Chrysostom in the early church, he said it's as if an angel said, hey, uh, Mary, you're looking this way. Hey, can you just turn around? Just, just turn around and look at him. 
So Mary now, is he, she sought after Jesus through her doubts. This is verses 14 and 15. Instead of seeing Jesus, she saw what could not be possible. I put it that way to say she did not think it would be possible that now she's turning and actually seeing Jesus right there in the tomb. It, it's impossible, right? She's seeing Jesus, but she's not recognizing who she's seeing. So she's seeing Jesus, but the eyes of faith aren't turned on at that point. She's a believer, but she is uh, the dimmer switch is on low, and it needs to be turned up on high. A lot of times, people as unbelievers see Jesus. They can tell you all about Jesus. They say they believe in Jesus, but guess what? They really don't see the true risen Christ. They don't see the vision that is required of a believer. We are required to worship the one true Christ. A lot of people can tell you a lot about Christ, and they say, where is he? Well, uh, they, don't, they don't sense him spiritually. They don't really know him as the scripture has revealed him. And there's a lot of people as weak believers who need to be strengthened, who see Jesus, but they don't really see him as right there with them. I mean, think about it. Mary is looking for Jesus, wants to be with Jesus, is weeping and wailing to see Jesus, and he's right there. It's just, there he is. You know, he's right there with her, just, just a few feet away. Do you walk through trials and traps and snares in the Christian life and your experience and you suffer and you look around and you want, where is Jesus? And perhaps he's right there with you every step of the way and you just need to turn around and look at him. So why did, why did she not recognize him? She didn't see Jesus. Maybe it was the tears. Was it, she was, you know, Bleary-eyed, she, she was, her vision was blurred because of the tears, so she couldn't recognize Jesus. I don't think that's really the case. She was able to recognize the angels. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 40 speaks of resurrected, glorified bodies and how the bodies are different when they're glorified. Maybe this is why Jesus was not recognizable to her. Not sure. In 1 Corinthians 15, it, it speaks of how our earthly bodies are compared to a kernel seed that is sown that looks very different than the wheat that is shot up, that shoots up as the fruit of that seed that's sown. And so maybe Jesus looked very different than he did before he was glorified. Well, we know for sure that the risen Christ looked different than the brutalized, bleeding, wounded Christ who had died on the cross. So she wasn't looking for that Christ who was glorified, different than he was just a few hours prior, a few days before. So she didn't recognize Christ in that way, maybe. We know Christ was recognizable. He was able to eat fish. He ate fish. He displayed his physicality. He allowed Thomas to touch him and handle him. He was with the disciples physically on display for 40 days after risen from the dead. So we know that he was recognizable as Christ, but he was glorified. But I don't think those are the reasons that Mary did not recognize that this was Jesus right away. She thought he was a gardener. Why? She didn't recognize Jesus because the lights had not been turned up yet in her heart. The dimmer switch was on 
low. Though there was strong devotion and love for Christ, she needed the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit to see him in his fullness. Remember the two on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, where they walked with Jesus, they ate with Jesus, they conversed with Jesus, and then Jesus turned the lights on at one point in their meal, and and then he vanished, and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? We, We were with the Messiah. We didn't even know it. That's what happens in the Christian life. You go, oh, that's Jesus. I get it. I'm understanding who he is. He's more than what the culture displays him as. He's bigger than that. He's God incarnate, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the one who's with me. That's the one who I get to talk to. That's the one who I'm trusting. That's what happens in the Christian life when your faith grows. That's what Mary is undergoing. It's blessing in her life. But she didn't see Jesus yet. Not for who he was. She mistook him for a gardener. Jesus said, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She was well to do. Um, Luke chapter 8 speaks of that. She and her girlfriends had some money. They had some means to be able to take care of the body if Jesus was still dead. They could reset things. But then the Lord uses one word to turn the lights on. This is Mary who sought after Jesus through her delirium. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. That's the word that turned the lights on and turned the dimmer switch to full brightness. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Just a term of endearment and respect. And guess what? The, the, the idea here is that she turns and dives for his feet and clings to him. I get that from verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Mary's heart is filled with wonder. She's overwhelmed with joy. She, she recognized Jesus spiritually. The illumination of the Holy Spirit came through her ear gate, and opened her eye gate as the eyes of faith were opened. John 10, 27. It's where Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You know when you hear from Jesus. From the word of God, our hearts resonate that this is the true Christ as he's displayed in Scripture. She was the one who was able to see the risen Christ. Guess what? First. Why is that important? You know, the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart for what? They shall see God. The Bible also says, Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. And she was poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mary Magdalene, as a woman, as a woman with a reputation, perhaps of a very sordid past, as a woman who was demonized, had seven demons exercised out of her. This woman is the one who saw Jesus raised first. A lot of people will look at the Bible and say, you know, it's kind of a chauvinistic book. It, it puts women, you know, as, uh, in a role of submission in the home. And, you know, in that culture, they were kind of uh, second class, you know, to men. 
But I think that culture actually shows us how important women were to Jesus because Jesus supersedes the culture and invites this woman, this woman who perhaps was a harlot, for sure was demonized, and was weeping and wailing and not connecting the dots like John and Peter had. No, she just loved him. She's just doing her best, and he invites her to himself. In a way where she's able to literally dive and wrap her arms around Jesus and cling to him. And what, what Jesus is doing here is amazing. Some people might read this and say, well, Jesus, you know, is just kind of like pushing her aside, you know, and saying, don't, don't touch me. But what he's doing in essence is he's saying, you know what? You just think that my physical presence is powerful? Guess what? I have bought with my own blood a new relationship for you with me that will go on for eternity. She, Mary is like this mom who lost her kid for a few hours and finally located her kid. And, you know, as a mom, you would grab your kid and you'd hold your kid and you'd say, oh, why did you do that to me? I'm never going to let you go, though, and I'm never going to let you out of my sight again. Well, that's a beautiful picture, but that's a very unhealthy uh, posture to be in with your kid long term. All right? You can't be the helicopter mom forever, right? So anyway, so Jesus in the same way is saying, listen, you know, I'm here 40 days and I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. Um, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to send down my Holy Spirit to you and fill your heart with my heart and I will walk with you and talk with you and minister to you and we are co-equal heirs and you're going to be glorified with me in heaven, in eternity, forever. That's the new covenant relationship that I have bought for you with my blood. That's what he's opening up to her. And that's what he opens up to his disciples. It's a new relationship. We know this relationship, don't we? Romans chapter 8, verse 15, where we say, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, where we love the Lord, where our spirit bears witness with the Holy Spirit that we are what? Sons of God. God. So she's overwhelmed to hear the information that she is a daughter of Christ and a sister to Christ. Look at how Jesus terms this new relationship. He says, but go, verse 17, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Guess what, Mary? These disciples, these apostles that abandoned me three days ago, these, these people who deserted me, Peter who denied me three times, they're my brothers. By implication, you're my sister. And we're family now. Um, I have been your teacher. I have been your master. That remains so. But there's a new kind of relationship that is identified here with the risen Christ, and that is that Christians are co-equal heirs with Christ, ruling and reigning with Christ. Can we grasp that? That's hard for us, isn't it, to imagine? But it's true and it's real for Christians, and that's what is offered to Mary. And so Mary gets this, and seeing Jesus through the eyes of faith, and then seeing Jesus through her feelings, moves to Mary who seeks Jesus or sought after Jesus through her duty, her commission. She sees Jesus and this meant obedience, verse 18. She went and announced to the disciples. As Augustine put it, 
Um, Mary Magdalene was the apostle to the apostles, lowercase a. She's the sent one to the uppercase a apostles. She's sent to tell them that Jesus has risen from the dead. What does she say? She sees Jesus and she had seen Jesus and this was her testimony. She says, I have seen the Lord. You see all these seeing words? This is the same word, by the way, that is used of John who saw and believed. Seeing is believing, verse 8. John saw with the eyes of faith and believed. That's verse 8. It's the same word here, erao. This is where Mary Magdalene says, I see with understanding. I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. What she's mentioning here is that, or what John is identifying is that faith came by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. She believed and understood the teaching of Christ and was affirming that she had seen him raised from the dead. What an opportunity for her to go back to the disciples and say, hey, guess what? I'm the first one who saw Jesus. I mean, could you imagine that privilege? I saw him. I heard him. He taught me. He's back. I'm seeing him again. That should be our experience as we meditate on the resurrection. We've seen Jesus afresh, again, through the eyes of Mary Magdalene this morning. I pray your heart has been blessed. You know, if you haven't seen the risen Christ in this way, if you're not resonating on a convictional level, I would invite you to open your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your heart. And give you the eyes of faith that you can believe afresh for the first time. Or if your dimmer switch is low, pray for the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. That God would put his hand on your heart and turn it up. Where you see that Jesus has risen from the dead. And that means something to you as you live your life for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time.